Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Today, meet a Portland, Oregon auto shop owner who's recovered over 200 stolen cars. I'm no saint, and in some sense of the way, in my mind, I feel like I'm trying to make up for some of my own bad karma that I've created in my life. And meet the cartnark, who uses humor to shame people when they don't return their shopping carts. I'll catch myself laughing at myself because, like, this is so stupid. I know that in a few minutes, quite possibly, someone's going to be threatening my life. Plus, Connecticut Public's own Colin McEnroe on insights he gained after he posted about the morality of returning your shopping cart. And it got so heated, he had to take it down. I mean, a lot of people were basically trying to say, I am a good person. And the reason I know I'm a good person is because I bring my shopping cart back. And I mean, obviously, if Paul Pot brings his shopping cart back and the Dalai Lama doesn't, that doesn't sort of change things. <laughs> I'm Kion Wolf, people taking matters into their own hands. That's next on Audacious. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf, and there is a lot to be angry about. There's so much to be angry about, I don't even have to list the things you can be angry about. But being angry and just stewing in it, that's no fun. So today, meet people who take matters into their own hands. Later, you'll meet the cart narc, a guy who films himself confronting people in a sort of Ned Flanders way. When he sees them not returning their carts in grocery store parking lots. But first, you've got to meet Nick Haas. He's the owner of RBP Auto and Cycle in Portland, Oregon. Turns out Portland has a lot of problems with vehicle theft. According to Willamette Week, a news source in the city, last year set a 25-year record for car theft in Portland, with just over 9,000 stolen. It's looking even worse for 2022. But... Thanks to Nick, over 220 vehicles have been recovered so far. And he hasn't even been doing this for a year yet. The first time he went looking to get a stolen vehicle back was for his friend, Rick Bain. Rick's a 67-year-old U.S. Marine Corps veteran. The kind of guy who'd give you the shirt off his back. So when Rick's 1980 Harley-Davidson shovelhead was stolen... It ate at me. I was like, you know, I'm going to find his motorcycle. And it took a few months... But we finally tracked it down, and it was quite the day. We ran all over town, and it started off. We figured out there's a guy who had it was trying to sell it on Facebook Marketplace. And uh, we went and uh, got on his Facebook and saw a picture of a car. I have a friend who uh, works for a dealership who can run license plates and get addresses. So he took the license plate off the car, ran the address, went to that house, turned out to be his sister's house. The sister called him, got his location. We went there. And he was very aggravated about it. And the motorcycle was sitting there in his front yard. So I just went ahead and put my hands on it and started to take it. Uh, He pulled out a pistol, held us at gunpoint. I gave him every dollar I had in my wallet and uh, just turned around, walked off with the bike. And, uh, you know, we, we, of course, we had to contact the authorities at that point. He wound up getting arrested for felony possession of a firearm and this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, we got uh, Rick's Rick's Harley back, and you know the Harley itself had belonged to his brother, who had passed away in 1980, and uh, you know it, it had immense sentimental value. And imagining this man without a motorcycle is like imagining a fish without water. And after doing that for him, it just it felt good to do that. I loved that moment of getting to see him like put his hands back on his motorcycle and just have this sigh of relief that he got it back. Because he thought for sure he was never going to see it again. So, you know, that that kind of started everything down the road. That was recovery number one. And uh, I've got a lot of moments that I've, that I've managed to capture either through film or audio or recaps. Um, you know, that moment of getting to reunite people with their missing property, especially when it's something of significant sentimental value, just makes it all worth it for me. Is there a typical recovery? The typical ones that I like the most is when you find the vehicle and it's unoccupied, no one's around it. You can just grab it. Um, You know, there was a long time when I started doing this, you know, in Portland, everything is really screwed up right now. You know, if you have to call non-emergency for an unoccupied stolen vehicle, I've spent over two hours on hold waiting to talk to somebody at dispatch 
Um, now I don't even bother with it. I just take the vehicle, I bring it back to my shop, and then we contact the owner and we let the owner contact the police officers. Now I've been able to build such a rapport with the police in Portland that I can, usually I've got somebody's cell number who's on duty who can run plates and call owners for me. Um, you know, now we've gotten to the point where we've got, you know, we're pulling our own PI licenses, so we'll be able to have access to databases. We won't have to deal with any of that. But that's my favorite type of recovery is finding it unoccupied and relatively intact. Now, I've had some where, you know, uh, when we did recovery number 63, I think it was uh, the day before he, the thief had been sitting in the truck and my guy thought the truck was unoccupied. He walks up to the truck and from three feet away, the driver's side window is rolled down. The thief sticks an AR-15 out the window and points it right at his head. So we started making our plan to go get that truck the next day. And that truck pulls into my back parking lot of my security cameras. And we went out there and took the vehicle back at gunpoint. Um, and I just waltzed right up on the guy with my 45 out and drawn and, you know, said, we're taking the vehicle back. And, uh, you know, you can kick rocks. I didn't even hold him. I didn't even try to get him arrested. I just told him to get the hell out of here. Nick, this is like some wild, wild west. It is. It is, 100%. We actually, um, I had been contacted recently by a company called All Free Media, and they have assigned uh, me to a contract for a reality TV show, and we're currently wrapping up negotiations with Discovery Channel, and uh, hopefully this spring the episodes will start to air. Will you also be equipped with bulletproof vests or any other tactical gear, I oh, would imagine? We have some now, yes. And we've had, you know, I mean... I've been shot at a handful of times. I've had knives pulled on me 20 plus times. I've been, uh, you know, almost run over four times. Um, one time we had an incident where the police were literally just a stone's throw away, but they refused to enter the area. We were shutting down a chop shop and uh, they tried to hit run me over a couple of times with one of the vehicles. So I slashed the tires and they ran up behind me with a steel pipe. And Rick was with me that day. Rick, the owner of number one, he came down to help. And uh, he yelled, like, look out. And I saw the guy coming up behind me. So I pulled out my pistol and fired a warning shot. And, uh, you know, in 48 hours, we recovered 42 vehicles from that open air chop shop homeless camp. And I was the only guy who got cited and charged with anything that day for discharging a firearm city limits. I still haven't gotten my pistol back from Portland Police Department. When I picture myself in your situation, I picture myself thinking this is not worth it. My life is not worth it. What am I even doing here? But you don't feel that way. What is the difference between you and me? I mean, I I kind of enjoy the hunt. I've always been good at finding things, for one. Two, it makes me feel really good to help people. And I mean, I, I'm no saint. I've made my own ups. I've got people in my life I've done wrong. We all do. And in some sense, the way in my mind, I feel like I'm trying to make up for some of my own bad karma that I've created in my life. And, you know, I've been doing this now for almost a year. I've never asked anybody for a dime to do it. I just want to help. And, you know, I am slightly financially destitute because of that. I'm hoping this TV show thing goes all the way through because now I'll be able to use Discovery Channel's money to help people, which will be huge. And they'll get their entertainment value out of it. And I'll get some sort of notoriety out of it. And eventually, you know, this will be built into something where... You know, I want to start this organization that could become a national thing. But for me personally, you know, I've gone back and forth when I hit like my 10th recovery and I've had some really hairy experiences and hard learning experiences with this. And I was like, do I really want to do this? And even my family and my father's like, why the hell don't you move out of Portland? Like, you've got a kid. Like, what are you doing? Like, I, again, that moment of getting somebody something back to it's not there's no way you can buy that feeling. There's no way you can rent it. The richest man in the world can't own that moment. That, to me, makes me a very rich individual. And I love being able to make those moments happen. And that's why I do it. There is this deeper reason why people steal cars. I could be wrong, but with few exceptions, you know, I bet people would rather not feel like they're in a position where they have to steal a car and strip it and sell it for parts. I imagine they're experiencing addictions, job loss, mental illnesses. And so the root of this problem still exists, even if you recover every single stolen vehicle an hour after it it's stolen, fix the right? problem. Right, exactly. And so you and so you, Nick, have been fixing the problems after they happen, but there's so many deep underlying issues here. And so is is there part of you that is frustrated, like like you'll always be in this business? Or is there anything more that you think you could do? 
People in America are so hopelessly enamored by the ether of their existence that they can't see beyond their own worlds. And once it starts to affect them, then they'll start to take notice and start to do something about it. Our situation here in Portland, we are now the highest ranked city for auto theft in the nation. We got over 1,600 cars and vehicles stolen a month. That's one every 48 seconds or something like that. I can't remember the math on it. Um, don't hold me to that quote. But eventually, this situation is going to come to a head. People have been so divided, especially since Trump came into office, you know, that nobody can put aside differences anymore to work together for the common good of the common person. For me, going out recovering stolen cars is like being in a boat with a bucket that's taking on water. I can get every bit of water I can scoop out of that boat with that bucket, but if I don't fix the leak, I'm still sinking. Have you ever thought about running for office? I've had a lot of people trying to get me to run for office. Yeah, they say I'd be the perfect politician because I don't want to be one. And that's what I really think. Anyone who wants to be a career politician shouldn't run for office. I would do good with it, but I don't want that moment right now because I can't do the same level of helping people that I can right now. Now, once this show happens and I get a little bit of notoriety and fame from it, it all works out and I've got some money in my savings account finally again, four or five years from now, I will run for mayor of Portland and try and make some sort of difference. I'll call it right now. I'll do it. I'll interview you again then. Yeah. (laughs) Go for it. People in Connecticut are going to be fascinated with Oregon politics. (laughs) After 222 recoveries, does anything surprise you anymore in this line of work? No, but you could never predict what's going to happen. You know, we went into a homeless camp a while back, the worst and most dangerous one in Portland, and went to look for a truck. We found one truck that was out of fuel. We went to leave to get fuel for it. Found this truck driving through the woods, had over $30,000 in tools in it. And uh, the guy who was driving it is this guy who targets carpenters, electricians, plumbers, journeymen, workers. These are salt of the earth, hardworking guys that make our lives and our homes possible. And he targets these hardworking blue collar people, steals their vehicles, sells off all their tools and sets their trucks on fire. I had four other guys with me. We were all armed to the teeth and it turned into a firefight about 50 seconds of nonstop gunfires. We're hauling ass out of there with this other truck. Got one guy in the bed of the truck returning fire and I'm listening to bullets ricochet off the back of the cab. And I'm sitting there thinking, please don't let this be the day that my son finds out he's going to attend my funeral, please. It's not going to happen, but if it ever does, may that situation be the catalyst of change. How old's your son? Six. What do you tell him you do? I tell him I help people and I deal with bad guys. For those who are listening to this interview and may feel inspired to try this, what would you say to them? You never know what you're going to walk into. You know, I've been in situations where we've walked into homeless camps and found people whose arms are swollen almost the size of a basketball because of blood poisoning and infection from intravenous drug use. Um, You know, we've run into situations where, you know, they just don't care. Like you've got a gun drawn on them. They look you dead in the eye and say, do it, do it. You've been doing me a favor. Shoot me, kill me. And what do you do with that? To be in a situation where you're dealing with an individual who really doesn't care if they live or die in that moment is a whole nother realm of difficulty that you could not begin to weigh the factors and measure the difficulties and challenges of it. How do you reach that person? How do you begin to help that person? And then I ask myself, how did this person get here? But, you know, when I'm watching all my friends moving out of Portland because they can't handle it, I'm sitting there, well, do I, like when I rented this shop last September, do I want to move and give up on this or do I want to stay and fight? And it really all boils down to is just go out and help people. You know, go out and do something to help people. I can guarantee the way you're going to feel after you get home at the end of the day, it's going to be way better than getting a fat paycheck. You know, I know it's not, a fun, you know, helping people and like in my line of work, getting stolen cars back people is never something that's going to pay well. But you can't put a price on doing something good for your community and helping others. Well, Nick Haas, 
Thank you very much for all that you do. May you remain safe. And thanks for telling me your story. Thanks for uh, wanting to hear it. When we get back, meet the brains behind the cart narcs, lovingly confronting people about not returning their shopping carts. People who may not feel particularly loving back. Sir, I'm a cart narc. And I'm a killer. Well, sir, that's not nice. I'm fixing to put about six right in your forehead. Sir, that's against the law. I don't give a damn. Will you take your cart back where it belongs, sir? Please. Plus, what public radio host Colin McEnroe learned when he posted on social media about not returning his cart. There were 508 comments when I finally shut things off. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZepBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashankar, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us more. ZepBound helps decrease hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity. For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umashankar has advice on the first most important step. I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and today we're meeting concerned citizens who are taking matters into their own hands. You ever walk through a grocery store parking lot? and watch helplessly as an abandoned shopping cart gets blown around in the wind and then thud, hits someone's car? Or do you see a cart nest, like a tumbleweed collective of abandoned carts taking up a bunch of spots? Or do you see a single cart taking up an entire parking space that's reserved for people with disabilities? In a little bit, I'm going to introduce you to a member of the Cart Narcs. He posts videos of himself kind of merrily confronting people who are about to leave their carts unreturned. But first, I had to talk with my friend and colleague here at Connecticut Public, Colin McEnroe. You may know him from The Colin McEnroe Show. A couple months ago, he wrote this post on social media about the morality of returning your cart, and it totally got heated. Here he is explaining what happened. I think I start this story uh, in the parking lot at Big Y, I was sort of had unloaded my groceries into my car. I was getting into the car, leaving the shopping cart kind of somewhere near the car. And this woman was coming towards me. And she's, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something that made me think maybe she wanted this cart, you know, because also, Kion, this cart was a demi, if you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of that half size cart. I love those. <laughs> yeah, there's everybody wants them, there's never enough of them. The grocery stores don't like them because you don't buy as much stuff. So I thought, well, maybe she wants it. I said, would you like this cart? And she sort of said something, once again, I don't recall it exactly, that indicated that A, no, she didn't want the cart. B, she had just brought her own cart back. And C, she was wondering whether I was planning on leaving this cart right where it was. Are you saying she was a cart narc? It turns out she wasn't really, because I eventually heard from her. As, as this blew up into the international scandal that it turned into. But um, no, she was just like, I don't know. You're not going to bring your cart back. Um, it was more like that. And it wasn't, she wasn't, I didn't feel censored. But I thought, foolishly, well, this is, would be an intriguing thing to bring up on Facebook. It's got a little bit of the kind of Larry David curb your enthusiasm quality to it. It's it's a low stakes ethical problem. You know, it ultimately isn't gigantically important whether or not I bring a shopping cart back, but it might be interesting to kind of palpate that a little bit uh, about, you know, what the ethical issues are. I already read Michael Schur's book, the guy who created 
The Good Place and Parks and Recreation. He wrote a book about moral philosophy, which he gets into shopping carts. So I thought, I'll put this, I'll tell this story on Facebook, ask people their opinions, and this will be fun. A statement which rings, as you know, very hollow at this point. And so you post what happened. Um, what did you notice in the comment section, dare I ask? Well, first of all, there were 508 comments when I finally shut things off. And I have a pretty large Facebook presence, but 500 comments, that's 500 likes is a lot. All people have to do is click something. 500 comments when people actually have to type things out, that's, that's a tsunami. The volume was the first thing that I noticed. There was, in fact, some interesting richness of detail and perspective. I mean, of the 500 comments, 400 of them probably were people saying, you need to bring your shopping cart back. It's wrong, very wrong, not to bring your shopping cart back. I bring my shopping cart back, et cetera. But, you know, maybe another 100 of them were people who said things like, you know, my son is a special needs person, and this was like the only job he could get for a long time, being a cart wrangler. And so even now that he's aged out of that, I always leave my cart out because I want people who are similar to him to be able to have jobs. I heard from people who have some mild gait disorder, which makes them happy when they get out of their car and they can see a cart that they can sort of grab onto and walk into the supermarket. They might even look for a parking space where they'll have a cart right, right at hand. I heard from somebody who talked about working in a store where the cart wrangling thing was a shift you rotated onto for an hour or two during your workday. And everybody looked forward to it because it meant they'd get to go outside and run around pushing shopping carts around rather than be inside. So, what, and I see these things just to say it wasn't a perfectly morally clear situation, although you would never know that from the comments of the other 400 people. Now, you don't often take down your posts. What was it that made you take it down? Okay, I'm going to use an overworked phrase, uh, and I apologize in advance, but the level of virtue signaling was really starting to great on me. Um, and, and not just the virtue signaling, but the sort of the lack of interest in any nuance. So I've, well, what I did actually was I posted another thing saying, I'm taking down the original post and here's why. That one got 225 comments, <laughs> even though I'd made it clear, I didn't want any more comments about this. But amid those comments was a guy directing me to the work of a uh, kind of a theologian named David Zal, who has a, coined a term called seculosity. And seculosity is the idea that absent a religion, so many people, of course, have turned away from faith, turned away from any kind of organized religion, that what they essentially do is invest a lot of everyday things connected to parenting or their career or the entertainment they consume or their behavior in consumer situations. They invest those things with a kind of religious import and fraughtness so that when they're discussing something like shopping carts, which would seem to be, as I say, a pretty low stakes issue, they're discussing it with a kind of fervor you might associate with a deeply religious person exploring some doctrine, some important, crucial tenet of their faith. And, and I think there's a lot to that. You know, I think there's sort of that. And then Facebook is just a really bad place to have a fun, casual conversation. You can do it sometimes, but, um, you know, there's a T.S. Eliot phrase about uh, people absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. And that pretty well describes the atmosphere in Facebook. I mean, a lot of people were basically trying to say, I'm a good person. And the reason I know I'm a good person is because I bring my shopping cart back. And I mean, obviously, if Paul Pot brings his shopping cart back and the Dalai Lama doesn't, you know, that doesn't sort of change things. <laughs> That's one little isolated trait. Paul Pot probably does it because he's attached to order. Uh, and the Dalai Lama probably doesn't because he talked to some mom whose son was able to get a job doing this despite some special needs issues and that would excite his sympathies. And I know I'm babbling and sermonizing here, but I just, I think one of the other diseases of this, this age, and it's, it's a disease that we caught from social media, is that idea of zeroing in on one thing, 
absent the context, uh, absent a look at, you know, the entirety of a, a person's life and deeds, or even just a little bit of context. And so if you do that, if you say, oh, well, all I'm going to care about today is this one thing. I don't like jokes about X. And so if you told a joke, a joke about X, you're a bad person. And so, I mean, that's why I give the Paul Pot Dalai Lama example. If you're only going to look at one thing, you could conclude that a genocidal dictator was a better person than an apostle of peace. And we're in this arena where we're all being observed, right? Like the people commenting on this on Facebook, they're being watched. So they're going to write a certain thing. And these people, once they know that they're being watched by the cart narc, they act a certain way too. So it's it's like when I interviewed the cart narc, I told him, in no uncertain terms that I always bring my cart back. But frankly, I mean, in 42 years, I've probably left a cart behind, but I know this is going to be on a radio show. So I'm going to be saying something that I think people want to hear. Yeah. And I think also, I do want to say, we do need people to adopt habits of social cohesion, right? I mean, you could make an argument and I think it would be a good one, that people not bringing their shopping carts back, if we can agree that that's a harm, then it does sit on some continuum that also includes masking in certain situations or getting your vaccine or, or whatever. That One of the things we turned out not to be very good at as a nation, as a society, was taking the well-being of everybody into account, setting aside our own particular issues and making a decision that is effectively one that shows caring for every, everybody else and for the society at large. So if I were going to go after me about the shopping cart, I would do it on that basis. That was Colin McEnroe. Later we'll find out, after all that, what he now does with his shopping cart. A few years ago, Sebastian Davis was talking with a friend about pet peeves. One of his was when people didn't return their shopping carts. So he thought, huh, what if I put on an official-looking vest and wore a body cam and approached people kind of jovially to remind them that what they were doing wasn't cool? Oh, no. It's not where the carts go. It's between two spots. Cart corrals right over there. That's not where the cart goes, sir. That's the middle of the handicap access area. Sorry, ma'am, cart narcs. That's not where the cart goes. That's the walkway. Cart narcs, cart narcs. That's a carving, sir. Carving. We got carving going on here. Classic lazy bones maneuver. Oh, not even the access area. That's a full-on handicap spot. Oh, come on, man. He seems not at all threatening, right? Well, people are threatened by the darndest things. That vest he wore later became a bulletproof vest, and his videos have been viewed millions of times. He's got fans all over the world who sometimes even recognize him the moment he catches them not putting their cart away. But he also has plenty of people who think what he's doing is kind of over the top. Doesn't he have anything better to do? Aren't there more important things going on in this world that he could do something about? After all, there are people whose jobs it is to move those carts. And you know what? Where the carts are left really isn't a big deal. To the people who say it's not a big deal, I would say, exactly. It's not a big deal to take your cart back. Why aren't you doing it? And I'll, they'll say, well, I am in a big hurry. I'll say, oh, if it were a real emergency, if you were really actually in a hurry that, that where 15 or 20 seconds was the life and death of it, what are you doing shopping at the grocery store? So these are all cover-ups. These are all lies. These are all the little things that people use, not just with shopping carts, but in their day-to-day -day life to at least give themselves social cover against inconsiderate behavior. Before you spot somebody leaving their cart out, um, lazy bones, zzz. talk me through your stakeout. Do you roam? Do you stay in one place? Do you sit on a tree branch? <laughs> what's, your, what's your technique as you lead up to the moment of confrontation? So the first thing I do when I get to a parking lot is I will um, start picking up loose carts because that is the number one or number two excuse people use is, well, they did it. 
you know, it's it's grade school stuff, which most excuses I hear are, well, you didn't bust that person. So it gets one excuse off the table. And then as I'm picking up loose cards, I'm typically keeping about half the lot in my in front of me. Um, because I find it, especially at larger lots, you just, I'll, I'll be, I'll go, you know, watch somebody and I'll turn around and uh, the whole cart will be like magically have appeared behind me. So I just try to keep one half of the lot in, in focus, clean that area completely. So there's no loose carts. And then I just, as every person walks out, I just kind of keep an eye on them. I try not to let them see me. I want to let them have as natural a, you know, reaction or, or procedure in their lives as possible your approach to people is to be super lighthearted. I imagine to disarm them. You know, you you sing a little whoop whoop song, and and you've got you've just got a rhythm and a tone that is, it's kind of sweet actually. So I'd like to know, in those brief moments when you're making those noises and making your approach, what if anything is going through your mind? It's funny because I'll I'll catch myself laughing at myself because. I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> this is so dumb. And like, like you said, it's lighthearted. I, I never threaten anybody because if I were to do like the, hey, you, and it was cussing and being aggressive with people. And, and you know, I think I would lose a lot of the credibility there because people would say, well, of course, the person who didn't return their car is flipping out. Look how aggressive you're being, even if you're asking something them to do the right thing. So I try to be, I've been compared to like a Boy Scout or SpongeBob SquarePants, or just like, or Ned Flanders, just like I don't, I try almost never to use any kind of aggressive language. In fact, I dumb the language down to schoolyard in, in, insults, lazy bones, and, uh, you know, loosey goosey and willy Like, I just try to make it as silly and dumb as possible. So I do catch myself like thinking, man, this is so stupid. Because I know that in a few minutes, quite possibly, someone's going to be threatening my life while I'm doing this little cartoon, you know, South Park character. Uh, and, and they don't, and they almost never question me on it. They almost never say, why are you talking like that? What is going on here? They're so obsessed with the whole fact that someone's called them out over leaving out their cart. So I know that some of the common responses you get are, I'm running late. Uh, and in the cases where maybe you couldn't get to the group of carts, uh, they, they say, hey, everybody else did it. What are some reactions or excuses that people have given you that stood out? Well, yeah, they love the they love the other people do it. They love the they pay somebody to pick up my cards for me. And I've got responses to all those excuses. Those are easy and pat. I've heard them a hundred times. The more weird and obscure excuses are what I find more interesting. I have heard uh, my boyfriend just broke up with me and I'm having a mental breakdown. <laughs> was this, and she didn't fight me over it. She just kind of like stared at me and was like, sorry, I'm not, I'm not returning my cart. And my boyfriend left me. Um, I heard just recently, you don't know who my family is. And of course I don't like, I don't stop at those excuses. I say, and I, well, I ask them sarcastically, oh, do they come from like the land of people who don't return their carts? Um, God, I've heard, I've got, you know, I've got this and that condition. Oh, my favorite, one of my favorite ones was where she and her husband had gotten in, in the car. They left their cart in the disability access area, the little blue striped line. And she was yelling at me, well, I have cancer. Meanwhile, well, her husband's right there, number one. Number two, her husband is smoking a cigarette inside the car next to her. <laughs> and number three, after a couple minutes of back and forth, uh, and her husband coming out and trying to like walk me down, she actually gets out and puts the cart back, proving that whatever he probably does have, does have who knows skin I don't know, but but it's 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 everything under the sun. People try to play some kind of victim card in order to protect themselves against personal responsibility. And so when I do hear those things, I mean the fun, the funny ones, I I manage to laugh and chuckle at, and that's fun. But the ones where they're just rolling out every single excuse is it does make me feel kind of sad about things in, in the world. But luckily, like I said, there are those good moments to bring me back around about human nature. Our 11-year-old junior producer, Sophia Martinez, who is the very bright and talented daughter of my producer, Jessica Severin Martinez, when she heard about you and your work as the cart narcs, this was the big question that she had. How on earth is he still alive? There's some crazy people out there that might take this the wrong way. So what do you say to Sophia? 
Yeah, that's a common comment I see, you know, on, on the videos is you don't know. Someday it's going to be the wrong person. There are crazy people out there. And trust me, I've, I've, that's part of the, I don't know, the interesting or human interest side of Cardinarchs is it is real people. So I get, you know, while I do get the same type of behavior, the specifics change. And to me, that's, it's, that's more interesting. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess, it's a hill I don't want to die on. I don't expect to die on. Again, as much as we see the news stories about people going nuts and whatever in common everyday, there was what a, a, a young man in, in New York who was shot over cold fries at McDonald's recently, I believe. Um, you know, these things do happen, but I just, I think they're overblown, even, even with someone who myself is putting themselves in a riskier situation. I just don't think that's, it's not, it's a very likely thing to happen. When someone refuses to return their cart, you put a bumper magnet, you just sort of like toss it on usually the, if you can get it to stick, but like the side of the car or the trunk. By the way, what does the bumper magnet say? Uh, they, the bumper magnets say, I don't return my shopping cart like a jerk. And then it's got our phone number on there uh, for them to either rebut or we always say to seek counseling. Although <laughs> and that was my intention when I had the magnet was maybe I could, maybe I'll have somebody who's like, you know what? I'm sorry. Uh, that has not happened yet. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, people have called periodically um, and they'll cuss. They just do more cussing me out essentially. Okay. So one of the many fascinating human behaviors in your videos is watching the lazy bone go through these stages of comprehension when you first approach, like sometimes they are reactive instantly and defensive. And sometimes they're like, what, what is this dude even talking about? And sometimes they become amused with you. Like I'm going to play a clip from this one video from an encounter in Culver city, California with 1.5 million views. <laughs> this dude at first, when you start talking to him, he's almost like smitten with you. And then you put the bumper magnet on his truck and he just turns. We have these bumper magnets for you. I'm going to put it right, right here on the side of your truck. There you go. It's got a hotline number on it. So you can call that for counseling about how not to be lazy. Oh, what's going on? What, what, what are you doing, sir? Why are you approaching me? Why am I approaching you? Yes. This is yours. Take it back. No, it's got our, it's got our number Take for it you. Back. It's a present for you. Take it back. To teach you how to be a lazy bone. Take it back. No, sir. You keep that. It's Take it my back. gift to you. Why are you? Take it back. Why are you running after me? Because you're a. I'm a nice guy, sir. No, you're a. Luckily, I have good blocking skills. I blocked your attack. You're a. You're a. No, I'm a narc. Can I explain? I don't give a what you are. Yeah, you do, because you're running after me, trying to throw stuff at me. So clearly, I don't care. What I care about is you. I have rights. Leave me alone. Yeah, I know. And what I'm saying, leave me alone. I'm having a private, a small. Leave me alone. I'm trying to have a polite conversation. Sir. No, I don't want a polite. Leave, sir. I'm running the cops. I'm running the cops. See, she's from her. Uh, I'm a guy, actually. I'm a man. Call the cops on him. No, leave I'm a nice, me alone. No, I'm a nice guy. I'm having a polite conversation about how to be civil to your fellow customers. Oh, f yourself. The reason they had the car corral, which we're at, by the way, we are right here. The car corral. You could have brought it back by now. So when your bumper magnet just touches their car and you see that anger arriving, what are you thinking? So when I put the bumper magnet on, it, it does, it flips something, not in everybody, but in a lot of people, it flips something on them because, and people have pointed this out in comment section for every time I do Cardinarx videos is it's number one, it's just a car. Even if it is your car, the magnet can be removed when you get home in 10 minutes, but to whatever degree it pierces the veil of their ego, of their personal space to some degree, people have, especially internationally, have commented to me that uh, it's part of American car culture, that we see our car as an extension of who we are. It's essentially a scarlet letter. It's a, not even a citizen's arrest, it's a citizen's ticket. It's, you know, it's the tiniest nothing of a nothing, but it, it's a weird thing where I, that I've unintentionally stumbled on where it's an ego pop. And for some people, they have too much of an ego to handle it. 
after the break, Sebastian the Cartnark on what this work tells him about the state of humanity. Plus, after his social media post about all this blew up, what does Colin McEnroe do with his cart now? I almost hate to say this, but I... No spoilers. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. I said not right now. real in the Whole Foods parking lot. Uh-huh. You know the deal with the little shopping carts they got. Yeah. Check out what I say. Yeah. It happens every day. That's right. It's how we live on the west side of L.A. It's getting real in the Whole Foods parking lot. Yeah. I got my steel and you know it gets sparks a ride. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast, In Absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. So, you've never donated to this station before? That's okay. Public Media Giving Days are a great time to make your first gift. Here's how. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. The most selfish thing that a human being can do is leave an empty shopping cart in a parking space. Yeah, if you've done that, shame on you. You're telling me you can meander two and a half miles inside Costco, and the moment you get to your vehicle, you're like, not another step. (laughs) Timed out my physical endurance down to this moment. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and that was comedian Kellen Erskine beautifully setting us up for more of our conversation with Agent Sebastian of the Cartnarks. Sebastian is perfect for this episode, which is about when people take matters into their own hands. Because when he sees people about to drive off without returning their shopping carts, he playfully confronts them about their decision. The thing is, though, it doesn't always stay lighthearted. Let's get back to our conversation. What would be the best-case scenario for you as cart narcs in terms of the future of this work? The best case for cart narcs would be if, if I didn't have to do my job. It's the old thing about, uh, obviously I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but it's the old thing about, it'd be great if we didn't have to have firemen, if there just weren't fires, you know, if there weren't cats stuck in trees, it would be great if the world just worked perfectly. Uh, in their case, part of those are accidents. In my case, it's, it's most, mostly all intentional. It'd be nice if the cartnarks weren't necessary and I could keep going on after other things because there are a thousand other things. So that would be the ultimate goal is if, okay, mission accomplished on cartnarks, let's solve the next problem. I feel like we all have an inner punisher. You know, when you're done wrong or you see someone who's done wrong, there's a big, deep old punisher who wants to do something about it. I'm curious to know for you and your inner punisher, how bad do you want him to feel for how long? You know what I mean? That's a good question. And it comes down to the, the other reaction that I get is, man, you made that person feel terrible. And I say to that comment, well, no, I didn't because they have free will. They chose, the quote these days, they chose violence (laughs) as opposed to humility. You know, it's playground psychology. You can be a bully or you can play well with others. And so I don't want them to feel terrible for long. I want them to kind of, ultimately, if I had my like ultimate wish is they'd feel sort of bad for a second correct their mistake and move on uh you know it's and say you know what? i'm not gonna do that next time I'm, I'm a big doofus i'm sorry about that it's funny i was i was at a hotel recently and i was carrying all my stuff out the front door i had a cup of coffee with me and the lid wasn't on super tight it jostled a little bit and a little like you know three inch droplet of coffee hit the ground and then i couldn't stop i didn't have a napkin so i go load my stuff in the car and i i thought about driving away i said no i would feel bad that someone else is going to, you know, track that or slip on it. Uh, if, so I went back to the hotel, grabbed some napkins, wiped my coffee up, even though 
even though, yes, that hotel does employ people who eventually would have gotten to that spill, but it was my spill. I had the means to correct my mistake. And then once I cleaned it up, I felt fine. You know, I was, I was tempted <laughs> momentarily and I felt bad about being tempted, but it didn't ruin my day. I, and that's what I would, I don't want people's days to be ruined with these things. I would hope that they would kind of be able to sit back and laugh at it, you know, like, like some people are able to do. And people then say, well, you don't know what they were going through. Maybe they feel, and they create all these fantasies about they just came from their mother's funeral or they just found out they had, you know, inoperable brain tumors or whatever. And like, no, that's it. That didn't happen. How do I know? Because I asked them and not once has they ever said, God, man, I just put my dog down and I wasn't thinking, uh, you know, uh, let's fight. <laughs> it's, that doesn't happen because 99.9% .9 of the time people are not dealing with actual crises in their lives. Uh, they're just being thoughtless. But people put this whole narrative, well, you don't know. And you're right, I don't. And that's why I ask. And it's never once happened besides the lady who actually sprained her ankle who wasn't mad at me about it, by the way. She wasn't mad about being called out. She's like, yeah, I sprained my ankle. Sorry about it. Um, but it's, and that's, again, I've actually, I'm reading this book on CIA interrogators and how they know when somebody's lying. And it's it's anger and defensiveness, they say, are the easiest signs. That's like, that's a dead giveaway. How, I, I, I couldn't possibly have embezzled from this company or sold secrets. I've been an American patriot for blah, blah, blah. Like the people who get upset about it. People who are just like, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. And the longer the answer, the more they're lying, essentially, is the, and is the upshot of that. See, it sounds to me, going back to the spilling of the coffee, it sounds to me like you have a commitment to accountability in an era where accountability is like a joke. How do you live with that tension? It's funny because I... I I find myself at my apartment complex. We have a very nice gym and a separate yoga room. And I'm everything I, I stop in, I'm picking up weights. I'm rolling up yoga mats. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting the weights on the right rack where, like, where the 10 pounds go and the 25 pounds go, not, not, on t not all mixed in. Uh, and I have to kind of bite my tongue when I see somebody who doesn't understand proper gym etiquette doing it because like, <sighs> look, I live here. These are my neighbors. I don't want to have a bad you know, have half the apartment complex giving me the evil eye um, because I know how account accountability socially is looked at by doing cart narcs and especially accountability without authority. Cause that's what they say to me is they say, who do you work here? And I always ask them, well, what if I did work here? What difference would that make? You know, cause I'm just another citizen. I'm just another human. And that's what I say. This is just, this is just humanity. This is human accountability. But because I'm not their mom, I'm not a police officer, I'm not a, even a store employee, I don't have the, quote, authority to hold them accountable. And that's kind of the message of Cartnarks is, yeah, we all have the authority to at least ask other people to be accountable. Now, you might not like where that goes, or they might not like where that goes, but I think the lack, the lack of the common ask is where we lose accountability. Because if you, you're essentially, if you're an anonymous creature out there in the world, uh, you know, the, like when I talk about big cities have bigger cart problems, I think that's part of it is you don't have the accountability because you don't know that person. You probably never see them again, at least in a, they're never going to recognize you again. They're not your mom. They're not your brother. They're not your friend. You know, it's I think that's part of it is 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 then on the other side of that, we will go online and write a post about it, about how I just saw this inconsiderate so and so throw his or her entire bag of fast food wrappers out the window, but they won't confront. And, you know, there's the other, there's the other side of that coin where when you do confront about accountability, are you doing it in the right way? Uh, that was the, you know, whichever side of the, uh, you know, the mask thing you happen to sit on, that was how many videos did we see of people fighting store employees either pro or con against the mask or people yelling at the masked, the unmasked people, whichever side you go on, you know, you could be on the wrong side as far as someone is concerned. They'll say you shouldn't be holding people accountable because you're wrong about that. <laughs> now with carts, I think it's pretty easy. I think I've chosen something that's pretty black and white, uh, although I still do get pushback on it. So it's, it's weird. Like you have to decide what, 
what the standard should be and then people will question well who are you to set the standard and you just kind of have to you have to hold up you know stick behind your gun so to speak rhetorically of course yeah, not no, literally no. <laughs> well agent sebastian of cartnarks thank you so much for talking with me and for all that you do thanks for having me on and uh, i'm glad you're always returning your cart We'll have links to the Cartnarks at ctpublic.org slash audacious. All right, earlier in the show, my friend and colleague here at Connecticut Public, Colin McEnroe, talked about a Facebook post he made about all this a couple months ago, and he eventually took it down because it got so heated. After 508 comments, much of which he classified as virtue signaling, he learned a lot about human behavior, how we judge, and, and our sense of morality and ethics. I asked him this. When you go to the grocery store now, you get to your car, you've unloaded it, and it's just you and the cart. What do you do with it? I almost hate to say this, but I, I now always either bring it back to the cart corral or uh, up to the store itself. And I don't think that makes me a good person. <laughs> I don't think it substantially affects my moral or ethical standing in society. But I just sort of thought, you know what? I would like to get off this battlefield, and and obviously I can stay off this battlefield by never mentioning it, mentioning it on social media or never appearing as a guest on Audacious. But I'd also just sort of like to be off the battlefield. Like I'd like to not be doing something that is going to bother somebody else. Um, so I do it. I, as I say, I don't attach any moral importance to it whatsoever, but I do it. Well, Colin McEnroe. Thank you for talking with me. Oh, I'm honored to be on Audacious. Big fan, big fan. Audacious is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious and you'll always get to hear the show a day earlier than the folks who tune into the radio broadcast. And that makes you feel pretty special. You can hear them all at ctpublic.org audacious or wherever you get your podcasts. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. 